0: So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue-white-green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Inheritance is kind of like anything to do with money, religion or politics for many people. It's almost taboo when it comes to dinner party conversations or even banter amongst those who know and love us. It seems all rather old-fashioned to me. To tackle this topic, I'm lucky to have with me here today, Vanessa Stoikov. She's a financial educator and best-selling author. From her 22-year history of owning financial services, education-focused business media, Evolution Media Group, Vanessa has a deep understanding of the finance world and the unique ability to communicate in this way that everyday people can understand. She's also the founder of NMP Education and an award-winning television producer and author, as I mentioned. Recent research commissioned by Vanessa reveals that 74% of Australians believe you should only be having conversations with family members about inheritance before that person passes away, but only half actually have. The main reason behind why people haven't, even though they want to, is because they aren't sure about how to approach this touchy subject. They keep putting it off because they aren't sure about the response they will receive. In the next 15 years, estimated the average Australian could receive around $320,000 on average in inheritance. That's $3.5 trillion wealth transfer between one generation to the next, which is being dubbed the economic tsunami, And I guess it highlights the enormous impact inheritance will have both to the country's economy as well as people's day-to-day lives. Interestingly, the data also highlighted that almost half of the respondents believe that having these conversations before it's too late will lead to less conflict amongst beneficiaries after their loved one has passed which is a key driver behind why so many people think it's important. And an overwhelming majority, about 74%, believe it's up to the person leaving the inheritance to instigate the conversation when and if they choose to do it. So here we go as we unpack the politics of inheritance. Welcome, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. Okay, young Vanessa, what did you want to be when you grow up and did you kind of get there? What was your sort of early memories of what you wanted to to do with your career and your life?
1: Well, look, I always loved books. I was a bookworm um, and used to be the kid under the doona past bedtime with a torch reading. So I was always going to do something with words and uh, I trained to be a journalist at university So and now I own my own media business. So I was always going to be a communicator, I think. I never knew I would land up in, in money. I certainly applied for every job from equestrian weekly to trucking weekly when uh, I was a young cadet journalist coming out of, of uni and ended up getting investor weekly and so the die was cast because I fell in love with the brains of people in finance.
0: Yeah, wow, that's amazing. So it sounds like you did land where you were meant to be, even though sometimes as a kid, people do know exactly what they want to do. I knew I wanted to be a journo, for example, and that's what I ended up doing for a long time. But you know, other people they kind of have those sort of more nuanced pathways. So it sounds like all those kind of things came together for you and what you what you've done for a long time now. I'd love to just jump into this topic of inheritance. It obviously means different things to different families, and I think sometimes it's a bit cultural as well as I guess the financial position of the family obviously we all know people that may have happened to us ourselves that you know you have anxiety and disputes because when someone passes away their will may not have been as you thought it would be there's some surprises in there some long-lost cousin you've never heard of gets the bulk share of the estate maybe that only happens in hollywood movies i'm not sure but you know there, there may be some sort of you know, nuance in there that someone hadn't predicted because they hadn't brought it up. And I'm thinking particularly these days with people repartnering and, you know, maybe the new partners gets a big, big chunk. And that's kind of a bit of a surprise too. At the end of the day, why do you think people expect an inheritance to be theirs because of bloodlines or marriage? Is there a history behind our expectation, I guess, on inheritance?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, there is. I mean, money passed down through families, through generations is kind of the way we've always done things. But unfortunately now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why people need to get more involved in this conversation. One of them is because of the onset of dementia and actually losing the ability to be able to say what you'd like if you start to get dementia or Parkinson's or any of those diseases. And dementia is so prevalent now. So, that's kind of step one for the person in the position of giving. You, you really want to be able to do it while you're still yourself. And you want to be able to bring your family together with your legacy and say, this is you know, what my life stood for. This is what I've tried to achieve for my family and what I have left. You know, Wouldn't it be great to be able to talk to your kids or your relatives or anyone you're leaving to about what you'd love to see for them? That would be an amazing opportunity, I think, to get closer to those you love. Yeah, abs-
0: ab- absolutely. And I think it's, when I say cultural, what I'm trying to tap into there, I remember years ago a friend of mine whose in-laws were South American, they had a saying which translated to it's better to give with warm hands than cold hands, meaning give it to me when you're alive, don't wait till I'm, dead and then pass it down because probably for a lot of us we already have a home by then hopefully or they've got you a bit established like waiting to inheriting stuff when you're 70 not is sometimes yeah. not, but it's not that exciting it's not the time you need it most mm-hmm. and so that saying always stuck with me is something that you know it wasn't and that was just what they did in their family they d- downsized the house divided up the inheritance and they all had their inheritance at 30. So, you know, and that allowed them a lot of financial freedom, but also, I guess, understanding what they were going to get in advance rather than waiting and hoping and praying it all works out, which I think is what a lot of
1: people might might do these days. Mm. Well, look, baby boomers have been the wealthiest generation in our history. They've, they've done well. They've raised more wealth than any other generation. And when they pass it on, I mean, three and a half trillion dollars in Australia, 60 trillion in the States, it's the biggest wealth transfer in our history of the, the universe, actually, of world yeah, civilization. Wow. So getting it right and actually investing that money in a way that grows for your family and for the economy, for Australia, it's a huge opportunity. You know, with that much wealth flushing through the system to the next generation, it's life changing money, particularly if you own a property now. And that's the thing that gets sold, particularly in the major cities, you're talking multi million yeah. dollars. And that is life changing money. And I guess not everyone's
0: in that position. I mean, while we talk about trends and, of course, the baby boomer intergenerational wealth transfers talked about, there's different families in different situations. I'm thinking if, if people in that generation have been you know, suddenly divorced at a late age. And I know women suffer a lot more, for example, that they may not end up with what they thought they were going to with, you know, with a partner that's no longer supporting them or maybe they didn't get as much super because they were the carer. So there are, I guess, nuances within that. But I'm curious, just from your financial education point of view, with this intergenerational wealth of the baby boomer like. Are there different expectations because, you know, we've heard a lot about, particularly in the capital cities in Australia, you know, people call it the bank of mum and dad. Now, part of me thinks that's great, but if that's the only way you can buy a property, that's still going to be very disenfranchising for a whole bunch of people because not everyone's going to,
1: parents have kept the family home that's now worth $5 million, for example. Hmm. Well, that's exactly right. And if you live in a country town or I grew up in a town called Gunnedah, rural New South Wales, then your property some are probably well over a million dollars now but it's not the same as if you live in a capital city and then there's a lot of us that won't get anything because their parents are yeah they don't have much but you know I think that legacy and inheritance is about more than money it's about talking about your legacy and and being more meaningful and intentional with what you hope to achieve in life and what you want to leave people. And a lot of the time, if you can give your kids a great education or, you know, travel experience, I know lots of people that have spent on private schools who won't have as much left, but their kids are going to be very independent and successful because they have the education. So I know there'll be people who are disenfranchised and disappointed that they don't receive. And I already know a lot of people who you know, their friends have given them deposits for houses, their friends' parents, and they don't have it. And it's hard because then, you know, you compare yourself to everyone else. But I think no matter what you get or whether it's money or legacy in another way, it's really important for families to talk about it because at the end of the day, we cannot expect governments to look after us anymore. I think you have to realise that we're all on our own and that we're all our own little business unit, our own families, and you want to make sure that your family's taken care of and has security. So from that perspective, talking about it, planning it, if your family's divorced and there's going to be divides, then getting everyone together and setting an expectation, none of these are easy conversations. And I think sometimes a lot of people avoid them because it's hard. And, you know, there's going to be fallout. And a lot of the time it might be easier to just die and let people deal with the fallout when you're not there. But, you know, that means there's a good chance if the will is contested that no one will get that money or not for many years and that the lawyers will get their hands on most of it through disputes. So you want to avoid that at all costs.
0: Absolutely. And as well as I've mentioned before being cultural, it's also kind of Generational, and it's not true for everyone's family, but you know, a lot of families, money is still a taboo topic. It's almost it's almost crass to ask, you know, you know, what am I getting in the will, or how is how have you divided a plan? To- your estate. And I know when I was doing, my husband and I have redone our wills a couple of times because, you know, things change in 20 years and so forth and assets and responsibilities. We didn't have kids then, now we do. But I know that one of the things that the estate planner said is don't give a copy to the beneficiaries of your will. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So it feels like, okay, I may not give them a copy. Does that mean I don't tell them? They just were like, no, we we have it. Let them know we have it. Let them, you know, I guess the executives know where your estate planners and that's where you come to if the worst should happen, but certainly don't let them know. I, I was a bit sort of taken aback, I guess, from about that perspective. And to be fair, the estate planner was someone in his He's 50s. So I don't know whether he had just dealt with a lot of people where that was the norm or there was a legal reason. I, I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that.
1: Mm. Well, there's probably legal implications and financial implications for a will from a tax perspective and everything. So I guess what he may have been saying is don't show them what they're getting until it rolls out that someone financial has figured out the tax implications and everything else because you may not get as get much. All. But as far yeah. as you don't have to give a copy of your will, but telling people your wishes. I mean, I I feel like that's the most important thing you can do and people can count on that. And most of the people who are inheriting are over 50 now. So it isn't like, yeah, when you needed that first house deposit or whatever you needed it for when you're young and they're looking at their kids and what can be done for them. So it's almost like Generation Baby Boomer is helping not so much Generation X, who's my age, I'm, what, 49 this year. We're a similar age, yeah, absolutely. So one below it, which is our generation. And, I mean, that's great too. Like it's tough now. Money, it's tough to find and things, the cost of things have gone up so much and wages haven't gone up. I mean, money is a huge causer of stress in our lives, in so many people's lives, and that is a really toxic thing for your health and your mental health. And so any relief as parents or people giving that you could give your kids, I feel like would be such a competitive advantage in life, just the knowledge that you're going to be okay.
0: Mm, I, I agree. And I, I suppose it's, you know, in some ways we talk about that generational wealth, particularly with the boomers, because I guess that's the, the the generation that we're looking at who is most likely because of their age going to be passing on money in the volumes you talked about in your survey. But I also am aware that a lot of that's just luck. I mean, there's nothing that clever really strategy wise about buying a house of $20,000 in 1970 and sitting on it. And part of me thinks that luck has got to kind of run out at some point because does it just feel, ha- you know, higher house prices because everybody suddenly has a $2 million deposit? You know, there's part of me that doesn't think that kind of wealth is that fantastic, to be honest, just because of what it means for greater society and, and mm. so forth. Well,
1: it, it, it causes big socioeconomic divides. And I think that's what we're going to see more and more. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer and there's always going to be that bottom 25% of society that we have a obligation to look after from a social services perspective. But then there's this great middle swath of people whose lives can be changed outrageously by more cash flow and um That's where this will really come in handy. I mean, a lot of people that are handing down wealth are wealthy already and it's just making sure that the generational legacy is there. But those who have sat on a house they bought in 1970 and now it's worth a lot, I mean, really think carefully about how you want that to be distributed and what effect it will have on your kids' lives.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And I guess, you know, if people are downsizing, that might be the time, although they might have to pay for their aged care, which I always think people underestimate how expensive that's going to be and how long we all live these days. That's the other thing to factor into the inheritance equation from my perspective anyway. um, Have you seen much... Around that, just in terms of? I've seen a
1: heap around that yeah. because a lot of people, unfortunately, are waiting till they're incapacitated and need to go into a nursing home to even think about it. And then it's up to their adult children. And I've got girlfriends at the moment who are trying to get their parents' care in the country. And it's very hard to find them anywhere. And if only it, money's not the issue, the family had enough money, but it's just the spot. If only they'd have thought about it five years earlier and put their name down and actually said this is what I'd like when I get to that point, it would be a hell of a lot easier for your children to organise, you know, that last part of your life. And in the last 10 years of your life, it's the most expensive 10 years of your life.
0: Absolutely, and particularly as we privatise care more and more in Australia, for example, you know, nursing homes and so forth, a lot of it's run privately and you need a big deposit
1: to even get a bed, as they say. Mm. And, look, some places don't. Some places just take your pension but what, what you need to do is find that out well yeah. before you need it. And so I would say to people in, you know, positions, I mean, my mum is uh, 70, early 70, 73, but my father was quite a lot older than her and he died four years ago, and she was able to care for him so he didn't have to go to a home till the very last two weeks of his life because she was so much younger. But if you're of a similar age and both of you have failing health, it's too much for one partner to look after the other when you're old and then you both want to go. So it really pays to plan ahead and to encourage your parents to think like that, not because you're greedy or you want to know what they've got, so they'll be okay and nobody has to go through the massive stress. It's sad enough when you see your parents failing, you know, it's, it's really sad and that's why inheritance is a very difficult topic because there's so much emotion wrapped around thinking about people you love not being there anymore and facing your own mortality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Years ago when I was working in a philanthropical capacity for a, a gallery, a public gallery, I met someone called Simon Mordant, who was a successful and well off banker, but who had very publicly decided to give away or bequest his vast fortune to causes he believed needed it more than his own grown up kids. And we had a very candid discussion about that. His family were very aware of this decision ahead of time, and I really admired it because I just thought in Australia that's such a rare thing to be to be doing, and very few families of wealth kind of do it that way. There's a lot of hanging on to to the bitter end and making them work in the family business and do all the, the dance, if you like, to even get that money. So what is your take on the idea of, you know, perhaps that, you know, like you said, the great education, they probably had that. They'd had a lot of opportunities. He'd set them up probably to an extent because they had, you know, the private school education, university. Maybe he'd help them, you know, along the way by an apartment or something when they were younger. But he really felt like he owed them nothing materially, no matter how much more money he would make in his life. He wanted to die with not a cent in his bank. What are your thoughts on that? Is that really bold and
1: brave or kind of rare and crazy? Well, philanthropy, I mean, it's needed for a start. And, I mean, Americans have been brilliant philanthropists for a very long time. Have sort of led the way. Australia doesn't like to call ourselves philanthropists, but at the same time, we're incredibly generous at giving, particularly in a crisis. And by God, there's been some of them in the last few years. But I think philanthropy is going to be more and more common, particularly for those who are handing on wealth when their kids don't need it. And I know a lot of people here in Australia, actually, who have private family trusts and their trusts set up a philanthropy and all the family sits down and talks about the causes they'd like to support and I mean what a privilege to be able to solve social problems together because you have that amount of money. So I think philanthropy is going to see have a real rise as the next generation gets their hands on money and, and there's some wicked problems we need to fix in the world like climate and the more we can give the next generation a view on how to use that money for good, like that's a good thing. I think we'll see more philanthropy. I worked with a man called Alan Gray, who started Alan Gray Investments and Orbis. We made a documentary on his life, and he's left a $10 billion philanthropic trust to educate kids from birth in South Africa, because that's where he was born, to sending them all the way to Harvard and then funding their first business to make them social entrepreneurs. And so for him, that was a long-term vision to fix the unemployment problem in South Africa. And those sort of people are incredibly inspirational. You'll see Warren Buffett said he's not leaving his kids anything. A lot of the wealthy are saying the same thing, not because they don't love their children, but because when you have so much money, there's never anything to strive for. And I think a lot of people that leave to charity who are wealthy is because they know they want their kids still to strive and have hopes and things they work for. Otherwise, life becomes pretty pointless.
0: Absolutely. And I think... There is also that sense that you need to be super wealthy to kind of do philanthropy. And my experience is, you know, it's probably just a mindset as much as you. It's not like I, because only because I have a billion dollars, well, am I going to give away all this money? I think there's, there's, there's micro versions of that, which could be part of that inheritance discussion, you know, maybe saying that there's some causes that you as a family, or you as an individual are passionate about that are going to get money as well as just leaving it to maybe those you're related to or or married to. Um, I think that's part of the whole process really of deciding what your inheritance legacy looks like.
1: Yeah, exactly. And legacy is different for everyone. You know, I don't think we talk enough about it today, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're all here to have relationships and find meaning and to love people. And if you can think about what, what legacy would you like to leave? And, A great way to do that, I find, with people, and it's an old university question, is to write your obituary. Yes. And when you ask people to write your obituary, what they're really saying is, how do you want to be remembered? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a great way to start that exercise if you really don't know what you want to do, write how you'd like to be thought of when you're gone and then you'll figure it out. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that's really powerful to, to think about it that way, which might seem morbid to some people as well, I guess. It's kind of this taboo thing around everything to do with death and money in, and inheritance. It's all wrapped up together in my experience. It's just all in the too hard basket. But then people very openly and almost Like ad nauseum, we'll talk about, you know, house prices, for example, and how much their house has gone up and all those conversations, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne and the capital cities around the world, which I also find equally crass. So it's an interesting I guess, dilemma that we have to, to kind of just break, keep breaking down what we find taboo and what we don't, you know what I mean? I, I find those conversations mm. about house prices incredibly boring, to be honest. It's just
1: <laughs> like well, you, you must have been to some interesting parent well, meetings. Well, cool. I'm thinking it depends on the company
0: you keep, but I reckon you give people in a group, I, about 20 minutes, it'll come up somehow, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, we're all guilty of it at one point or another. I'm probably brought it up as well, but part of it's just, as I said, it's a bit of luck. It's not really that exciting. It's sort of like a bit of a lottery ticket to me in some ways that you kind of, you know, some people will win and some people won't. But with property, it's great to have a roof over your head. And I think of property as not just an asset, but actually a right, you know, everyone should have a stable home to live in and rather than just constantly seeing it as an asset. So that's kind of the nuance of my, my take on that discussion, but everyone might feel a little bit differently about that.
1: Hmm. Well, whether you're renting or you own or you're paying off a mortgage, you've still got a roof over your head. I think the bigger issue is that rent prices are going up and wages aren't, so there's some people who get kicked out of their rental because they want it back or they're selling it or whatever. Exactly, because um, oh, the money's yeah. so
0: good. Let's just sell that investment property after a year. And look, I've rented and bought throughout my life. I've not I've sort of, you know, I've been renting it for a long time. I own property as well. But that you know, was one point I
1: think me and my family, we moved six times in five years. Yeah, that's not some, easy. Well we've moved to several <laughs> times too and I rent at the moment because I want the flexibility, but the, it's not the only way to make money, property. No, and, absolutely. And people need to know that more and more as they're locked out of the property market that you can invest many other ways very easily through technology now, through apps on your phone and also pump money into your super, which is the most tax-efficient way to invest. And, you know, you can rent and have a very great life because if you're renting, something goes wrong and who do you call? Someone else to pay for it and fix it, you know. So you've got to add up all the things too. Property maintenance is, one, life-sucking and, two, expensive. So we, our kids are older now. Our oldest son's 18, 17 and 13 and we live in an apartment now on the harbour. But, you know, when they were little I couldn't have done that. We had the traditional house with the big backyard but we all now want to be close to the city. You can jump on a ferry and go anywhere. And it's actually pretty cost effective to live there from a rental perspective. So I would encourage people to pick life first, not just what's the sensible money decision, and then learn other ways that you can invest your money to make money and not just be obsessed with property. And if you're inheriting property, think about do you want to live in that? What's the best use of that for you? Can you rent it out? I mean, there's so many questions there too, but just getting the conversation started. I've got a book coming out in October and it's called the five conversations about money that will radically change your life and one of them is the conversation with yourself are you happy with where you are you know do you love the having the big mortgage and no cash flow like there's all these things now that people have that they think yeah I've got assets but I'm not enjoying my life because I don't yeah, have any I agree. To do anything and so it's a real You've got to wait up, I guess, and say, what makes me happy and how do I build security for my family?
0: Absolutely. So, what are some of the mistakes that you can kind of observe about people receiving an inheritance? And that's no matter what age or stage of life they're at. So, I'm thinking one, one of them is not having the discussion about, you know, what what people's wishes are ahead of time. We touched a little bit on those crazy legal fees, which if you can contest a will, you know, like you say, the lawyers usually win the most mm. out of that one. But what are some of the other things that you see that, you know, people don't consider when they're kind of in that process of receiving an inheritance?
1: Well, a lot of people blow it on (laughs) things that, well, fast cars, (laughs) yeah, like motorbikes and things that aren't really income producing assets. And it's okay to have some treats and things you like, but you should look to put a portion of that to be going to work for you so you don't have to work and finding ways to make passive income. And I think a lot of what I see is sometimes people go on the holiday, renovate the house or pay off the mortgage, but they still don't have the cash flow. And if they'd have done things a bit differently and invested so there's income coming in, then they've just got more choices. And I don't think we're taught enough about passive income. And I don't think we're taught enough about how to diversify your money, certainly not through schools. So, you know, it's hard. I see people spend money unwisely all the time. And yeah, it's hard because there's no more coming. An inheritance is a one-off. Yeah, absolutely. It almost
0: reminds me of a lottery win. You know they see those stories of people who win like five million dollars in the lottery and ten years later they're broke. Yeah. You know those stories. No, no. Mm-hmm. It feels like that as well. With the disputes, I mean, often they're not even worth the legal fees or they might be to some people. And of course, it's not just the legal fees. I just think of the actual disharmony you create to the the legacy of the person who's left you the inheritance, but also potentially your siblings and the others who were beneficiaries or not beneficiaries in that will process. The relationship breakdown has got to be factored into it. Is there ways in which that can be avoided besides the conversations besides having a will is there anything else that people can be considering while they're you know navigating this process of of an inheritance
1: Mm. well I think you you mentioned siblings and that's a big one it's one of the chapters in my book how to talk to because siblings (laughs) um and not everyone gets on right like not everyone has the same goals so and not everyone's in the same position like you might
0: have people who that are already multi-millionaires because they've had a really successful run in their career for example or got inheritance from their in-laws you know so it's not it's not like it's going to look the same or the need is going to be the same if you like across the sibling group
1: yeah it's true and i mean there's plenty of examples of wills where one sibling's got less because they've had more in life than the others but all that needs to be talked about beforehand the worst thing you can do is leave all those bombshells in your will because it really will pull everyone apart. So you're much better off. I mean, people will naturally talk one-on-one to people and this is what I want, but you really need Mm. that group gathering, even if it's a phone call. I was going to say,
0: not the siloed conversations, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving you my favourite watch. It's like, yes, but does the sibling know that, you know?
1: Yeah, actually one lady told me, and I loved the thought of it, that she had gone with her daughter's, and they'd put dots on everything. Everyone had a colored dot sticker, and then mum, oh, you can have the glory box, you can have the silver, and they put dots on it so that they knew it was theirs. And they had fun because then they all got to talk about, it was like a shopping trip, you know, and she really enjoyed it. So I don't know if you have to go to the sticker version of that, but there's plenty of ways to make it an activity where you bond with your family, and you're certainly not sitting around crying or, you know, feeling despondent that you haven't communicated and your family's breaking down because of it.
0: Absolutely. So changing tack a little bit, who have been your greatest mentors, maybe one or two that stand out? And what have they taught you about life and business?
1: Well, my father, for a start, who died four years ago now, he was an immigrant from Serbia and came here in his twenties with the underpants on his back. He would tell me, I'm like, dad, that is not true. We get the idea. The yeah. And he came out on the worked for a visa scheme and worked on the Snowy Mountain Scheme And in the 50s. You know, they had a lot of immigrants from that Italy, Greece, Serbia, all those parts of the world. And one thing, he had a tough life to get where he got to, and the biggest thing I learned from him was never give up. I mean, his motto was never give up. He was as tough as nails, um, incredibly loving and loyal to his family, but he always, his mantra was never give up, and that's the biggest thing I've learned. You know, I've run a business for 20 years, three years now. And there's been plenty of times where I've wanted to give up, but the sort of training I had from him, or I guess the background has made me too stubborn to do it and it's paid off. So he, he would have been one of my biggest mentors for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If we spoke in a year, what would be the number one thing you would have hoped to have changed in your business and why?
1: It's a good question, that one. I think because I've got a new book and I mean, I'm passionate about creating all sorts of stories, particularly books out, I'd love to see us generating more content off the back of those sort of initiatives. So, you know, we're building courses at the moment that go with the book, and they're low cost, and they're easy to use, but it gives people a structure on how to do these things, like talk about inheritance. So I guess I'd like to see the book out there, the second one, and more people having the conversations, because they're able to download these things from the site. So, You know, I I hope when we talk next time that that's all working and lots of people are getting the tools and starting the process and I'd be very happy with that. Absolutely. Final takeaway message for us today on the politics of inheritance. Don't be afraid to talk about money. It's not crass. It's part of life. And it's okay to initiate those conversations, even if it doesn't go down well. Don't walk away and don't bring it up again. You've got to bring it up again. It takes a long time to talk about these things and people need time to absorb them. So don't just have one meeting and think that's it too. Like keep the conversation going, keep the communication open and you'll get a good outcome.
0: Excellent. Hopefully we've demystified a bit of the inheritance puzzle for people today. And if you do want to connect further with Vanessa, of course there'll be some details on the show notes. As always, until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber.com at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.